You have a little cinemascus, didn't you? No twink He's bonds. A lot of sucking. It is a hoot and a half. It is so weird, and I don't know what its point is, but I love it. If you kill a child, I'm on board with your movie. <laughs> Diamond Dallas Page, self high five, is the real people's champion. Can I be your bratwurst? Please. Do you have a crush on him? That does not narrow it down. The answer is probably yes. I am obsessed with Schrader. I want that man to marry me. Show me that pale brown eye. (laughs) Bring me to your crypt, baby. Is nice, nice derriere. He has a very sweet ass. Very cute butt. Does. I want to see some dong. Not entirely successful. This is an excruciating experience. I understand that you are the Hoover. It's like a Tasmanian <laughs> devil. We hope that this is never a floppy list. That we get you hard. Hard watch. Soft skip. Watch. Skip. Plus. Welcome, one and all, to another edition of Watch Get Plus, the movie review podcast with a lifestyle twist. Each week, my lovely co-host and I will review a brand new film, whether that be in the theaters, streaming digitally, or sometimes simultaneously, and we will let you know whether or not we think you should watch or skip it. The plus is the lifestyle twist, and it can be anything from our lives that we want to talk about, whether that be another movie, television show, uh... The fact that we went to a family gathering and not one single person asked about your cat shadow. It can be anything. I am the Cinemascus Justin the Red, joined as always by Machine Gun Jelly, aka Cupcake. Jose, how are you doing? Um, how's Shadow doing? He's doing see, this is why you're my <laughs> podcast partner. You know to ask about the best cat in the world. He's doing he's doing well. He's he just had his morning treat. You know, he had his breakfast a little bit ago, so he's he's gonna go take his morning nap now. You mean he didn't try to eat your cereal while you were eating? Uh, surprisingly not. He's gotten a little bit better with you know, waiting until I'm done to try to like hop up on the table or anything, but there was a little while there where he would just dunk his head into the bowl he didn't care (laughs) that is awesome and for the longest time he did not care about people food like unless it was tuna you know anything else he would like watch me and didn't care so i don't know what flipped in these past few years he's like wait a minute i should try (laughs) everything that you're having but i've I've officially had that part of a cat (laughs) so um just uh just as an aside my my cat would also do the exact same thing which was at first, he didn't like any like people food, and then suddenly it was just jumping on the table and eating a scrap or dunking dunking their head in the cereal and being like, "What is this?" <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I think there might be some like fairy that comes and visits cats once they hit a certain age, maybe when they start really shedding or something, uh, and that's also like, "Hey, by the way, you should try eating all their food. I'm telling you, it's wonderful." Yes. Well, considering that I truly believe I was probably a cat in my past life, <laughs> um, I probably was also the cat fairy. <laughs> but, now, um, in that yeah. past life of yours, were you behind yes. any red doors? Were you insidious anyway whatsoever? Were you the fifth film in a franchise called Insidious, the last, the red door? <laughs> The long-running franchise? I uh, uh, I mean, I guess so. It's only been 10 years, but we've got five. I mean, that's just as many as uh, the Evil Dead franchise had. Over, uh, or the like, Indiana Joneses. Yeah, or the Indiana Joneses <laughs> yeah, in a much shorter time period, though it cost much less than those Indiana Jones movies. Uh, it probably was the catering budget on the Indiana Jones And that's when film. you combine all five of the Insidious films' yeah. <laughs> budgets. It's still only the catering on one of those indie films. Jason Bloom, we love you. Um, no, I had a red kitty litter box. That that's about ah. it. But 
Insidious 5, a.k.a. Insidious the Red Door. That is what we are uh, reviewing this week because we are horror nuts. <laughs> uh, let me try it. Let me try it. Horror nuts. It still came out nuts. like horror, didn't it? Damn it. Horror. Uh, I need to emphasize horror. the horror, but I just, I, I used to have trouble with R's, even though I don't really think this one's as much the R's. It's just I say it too quick. Yes. Uh, yes. But we are horror aficionados. Yeah. And we, I don't know. Uh, I guess we'll get into it, but I enjoyed some of the series. Yes. Yeah, I'd say the same thing. But before we get there, we do have some pluses. Jose, let's begin with you. What is your plus for this week? I'm going to save what I was going to go with for next week, just so that it's um, it's shorter, since we'll have a special guest. Uh, but the bottom line is work has been uh, a little stressful for me. I won't go into it, but uh, I don't know. I just feel like, like retail, customer service, any of all that, summer is usually a pretty busy, heavy time. And so it's been, it's been kind of rough. Um, it's weird. Usually my dreams are a tip off as to how stressed I am. Last night's dream was literally me and a friend talking about past sexual relationships. That, that literally was the entire dream. That just sounds like your normal day to day. I know. And so I'm like, okay, that's really great because the other one I had was like, I mean, there was, there was like fecal matter. I was jumping out of windows. Oh. Anyway, yeah. Does this still have to do with your past sexual lives or? <laughs> no, no, no. Although, never mind. I won't go into that. But so uh, we all have our weird ways of de-stressing. And my de-stressing uh, took the shape of re-watching the seminal 1983 filmation uh, animated series He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Yeah. So I bought the uh, and th- and this is the original incarnation. I bought I bought the entire thing on DVD. Um, I think I'm on episode like 45. <laughs> so that that's been sort of like my my s- s- de-stressing self care routine, which is to grab all the chocolate in the house and just watch episodes of <laughs> He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, which you know, honestly, for 83, and it might have been 84, I don't know, but for 83, some of this stuff is, I don't know, it's pretty grown up. I can't believe that that this is the stuff that I was watching as a child. Um, there was actually an educational and psycho- psychological consultant for the show. And so at the end of each episode, there's always like things that they talk about in today's show tila was a whore and you know those kinds of things well no they've never they never I was said gonna that say, wait, what episode of he-man are you <laughs> watching Which, no, the they, masturbators they of stuff, the universe <laughs> <laughs> they never they never said stuff like that but but some of the little educational things at the end are 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 just absolutely amazing i mean things like he lied so-and-so lied because they didn't want to get in trouble but it's best to tell the truth there was even one about um, so-and-so is an orphan, but the people who love you and raise you, those are your parents, even if they're not your biological parents. And I'm like, holy cow, for the early 80s, that was fantastic. And so I guess I guess I'm proud I grew up watching this stuff because again, those those little those little lessons at the end are they're pretty fantastic. Uh, the animation is still pretty stilted, but it has its it has its own charm in addition to just all of the 
gayness and campiness of it all, <laughs> right? Right? I mean, even in the theme song, he's like, fabulous secret powers were revealed to me. You know, and it's like, yeah, fabulous indeed with your pink jacket and yellow belt. But yeah, so anyway, that's my plus. Nice. Uh, it's it it's worthy of a revisit because I I thought I would get like two or three episodes in maybe and just be like, this is crap. But I, I really love it and I get a kick out of it. Yeah. It's it's yeah, that's it, it's one that was a little bit before my time, but I still knew of it as a kid just because of hand-me-downs from older siblings and co- cousins, more or less the toys. Uh, but, I mean, it does hold up, and it's it's a really fun group watch, too. When I was at one of the Exhumed events a couple of years ago when they were still in, doing events in Philly, it was kind of like, a I guess, a sword and sorcery type. They were showing Conan the Barbarian, Legend, Crawl. It was like fantasy elements. And nice. during one of the, the breaks, instead of showing trailers, I don't know how, but I guess there was a, there was a 35 millimeter print of one of the episodes. I can't even remember the episode right now. And watching wow. he, an episode of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe with the crowd was just delightful. I almost went like, can we just keep doing this? Like, can this just be, you know, instead of like yeah. five movies, let's just do 10 hours of He-Man because it's, it's fun. Actually, Scooter joined me for a couple and we were just both kind of like, why did that just happen? <laughs> right. Um, so for, for instance, this is so bizarre, but like at the beginning of an episode, um, Orko, who sometimes I just want to pummel. And then sometimes I, I think he's the cutest thing ever, but um, he had like a salt, a salt shaker of like pepper. And he's, he, you know, was doing a magic trick and then it made everybody sneeze or whatever. At the end of the episode, he man is almost being smashed by this like trash compactor. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the, the, pepper shaker falls out of his harness and then he's like oh i'll use this and i'm like he pocketed the pepper shaker from the beginning of the episode and it's in his harness like what am i watching well he's a kleptomaniac so (laughs) exactly in addition to maybe loving animals a little anyway but that's my plus all right onto your plus (laughs) <laughs> well, my plus, I am going to comfortably stay in the realm of professional wrestling, but I am going to get out. Bingo. I am going to get out of AEW and also New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, if you had a, a special bingo card, a bingo plus, if you will, that had that additional, you're not going to get that. I'm going to go back into the realm of the big dog WWE, which I talk about on occasionally. I've, I've mentioned that. Uh, I mean, I still enjoy them. It's just there's so much to watch nowadays. So I. Really only watch their big events every now and then and like keep up. But as I mentioned back in January and talked about Royal Rumble, the one storyline that I've kept up with, always watching the clips of, is this Bloodline story. And that is their main star, Roman Reigns, and his actual legitimate family, the Usos, Solo Sokoa. And basically how they kind of became like a, a godfather type situation, like mobsters. But it's all about gaslighting and how Roman Reigns is taking advantage of everyone else to keep the world title on him. Well, they had what they called the Bloodline Civil War at this year's Money in the Bank pay-per-view, which, as inside, Money in the Bank is a ladder match where wrestlers will compete for a a briefcase, and in that contract, they can have a shot at any world title that they want within a year, and they can cash it in any time. So, in the middle of the match, after a match, is usually when they do it. But, uh, kind of like with the King of the Ring, which was a tournament, after a while, what took over were sometimes the main storylines, and that was just, because those are just really gimmick matches, you don't have much of a story going. So here, it was Roman Reigns in Solo Sokoa, who is one of the newer 
introductory characters that they've introduced lately uh, against the Usos, one of the more decorated tag teams, Jimmy and Jay, and that's where it all started from. Uh, and just to give you a recap, this started in September of 2020, so right at the height of the pandemic. That's when Roman Reigns came back, decided to be a heel, and you know, aligned with Paul Heyman, cheated to win the title. So first, Jay, his brother, because Jimmy was out, or his cousin, was trying to call him out on it, and they had like this emotional two battles where they were fighting for the title. Jimmy and Jay are like identical twins, so there was always this bit of like, you know, everyone always asks me, you know, which one are you? Now, cut to years later, uh, they had aligned with Roman Reigns. You always thought it was going to be Jay that, you know, dissolved everything, but he was the one that was gaslit the most. It was Jimmy who came to his brother's aid and actually attacked Roman at uh, the Night of Champions event. They did this great bit on a SmackDown where, like, they always do this uh, tribal court where Roman Reigns is, like, putting people on trial. They did it with Sami Zayn. (laughs) And nice. they made, and they sold it like Jimmy, you say you're being ousted and that Jay was too brainwashed and he was going, you know, you're this, you're that, and you're out. And there's this pause and he goes, and I'm out too. And he super kicks Roman. I'm telling you, this is great. This is why oh, I love wrestling. Yeah. I love storytelling uh, <laughs> when it could be like this. And this tag match was storytelling uh, to the hilt. Uh, you So many callbacks. Um, you had Roman a lot of times making Solo do the battle and like kind of just almost acting as if Jimmy and Jay were beneath him, getting on their nerves, but they eventually threw that against him. But what was beautiful was, I think we all expected if the Usos were going to win, they were probably going to pin Solo. You're not going to pin Roman, who they've been touting as, hasn't been pinned since 2019. Uh, There's two occasions this year where everybody thought either Sami Zayn or Cody Rhodes was the perfect person to beat him for the title. I still think maybe one of them should have taken the title off of him because the story would have worked better with him going crazier. Having lost the title. With that being said, though, why this worked out was since they've been harping on that for years, they actually pinned Roman Reigns in this match. They had Jay oh. pin his brother, his cousin, which is great because now they're going to have another world title match and most likely Roman will win. But you're going to still have this moment of like, hey, it's been years since we've seen Roman pin and it was his cousin. And it was poetic because their first match back in 2020 when, so when they pin, that's usually when you're laying on top of someone and you like hook the leg so they can't put their mat, uh, their shoulders up. When Roman kicked out by getting his shoulder up, he's done it intentionally now. He actually low-blowed Jay, but it made it look like it was an accident. So uh. the callback to this was when he was pinning Jay, Jay did the same thing to him. I'm going to kick out, but I'll make it, but I'll low-blow you, like hit you in the nuts, but make it look like it was accidental. And then he hit him with the, his splash, his Uso splash. And it's just, I'm selling it short almost. This... This is just amazing. Like, this is probably the one of, if not the best stories they've ever told. I think COVID has definitely helped because, one, they wouldn't have fallen into this without, you know, having to not have live crowds and that. But I think it gave them a little bit more of the patience with this story. Sometimes mm. it can be aggravating because even though they introduce another title that can act as a, a pseudo world title uh, while Roman's not defending... The fact is, when you have somebody in today's day and age holding a title for over a thousand days, it gets a couple of years there. It can get kind of tiring. We're not in the territory days where you can get away with that. Uh, But I just think this has been such a beautifully told story. Uh, I still don't see Roman dropping the belt until, and at this point, I kind of hope not until next year's Mania because it's in Philly and I'm going to try to go even if it's in the nosebleeds just to say I went to a WrestleMania. Yeah. but this was this was a very smart way of if you're not going to take the belt off of Roman, you still made him getting beaten and pinned such a big deal. Because, yes, there's been other tag matches he's been lately that he's 
technically been the loser of, but he was never in the fall. So they could protect him here. Uh, just it was beautiful. So that would be did somebody you, get did somebody get taken out on a stretcher? Uh, so the following SmackDown uh, in MSG, they did a, another tribal court, but they did it. Roman Reigns, you're actually in the tribal court. And uh. Roman tricked him. He was like broke down and dude even cried like this dude is seriously angling for a Hollywood career. Uh, he was technically in Hobbs and Shaw briefly, but still, he's uh, probably angling for an actual acting career. Uh, he did really well, and it looked like, you know, he was hurt, but then he used that to attack both Jay and then Jimmy, and then he, he hurt Jimmy to the point where they put to put him out on a stretcher, most likely, obviously, kayfabe, so that way there's more incentive and more blood feud going into the Jay and Roman solo match that Solo Sokola will probably also interfere in. I didn't try that. It just hit me. But with their one-on-one encounter at SummerSlam, and also that way you can have the excuse of, like, if somebody interferes, where's Jimmy? Well, he's hurt. So, But, yeah, it's just, oh, wow. my God, this storyline, man. And, honestly, I'll say this. I mean, I, if, I would be fine if Jay won the belt. I don't think he'd have a long run, and I think the issue that people are going to have is the person that beats... Roman should maybe have a long run after that. But if we're also saying has to be a moment as we saw at money in the bank, like that was such a beautiful moment of having Jay beat him, even in this tag format, I'd be fine with it. Even if he only held the title for like a month and whether that be he's dropping it back to Roman or dropped it to somebody else, but we'll, we'll see this. This has just been magnificent. WWE, when you are good, you are great. You can be pretty terrible. I mean, all wrestling companies can, but Sometimes you can rest on your laurels, and I feel like ever since AEW came along, you haven't been doing that as much, thankfully. And I think some of that's also just COVID. I think they, even though that would have been the best time to rest on your laurels, I think they and some of the other companies took it as, we have an obligation since we can are allowed to do this, even if we're doing it in our studios, this like live entertainment. We're one of the few people that can produce something live right now for people. We should give them something good. I feel yeah. like they've been on a really good hot streak lately, so... Happy to see it. Yeah. Nice. And uh, just as just as an aside, Roman Reigns is, I don't know, I think he's beautiful. Oh, he and is so small I, and hot. And for yeah. anyone listening, he looks a lot like Jason Momoa uh, to the point where there was a, because WWE Studios, they still, I think they still produce movies. I think they're finally doing what I want them to do and just making straight to video movies with wrestlers exclusively like The Miz. But every now and then they would produce or maybe pick up a film out of a festival. And one of them was like, a family biker movie starring Jason Momoa. I never saw it. Yeah. Can't remember the title of it, but legitimately every time they would show this commercial or a trailer for it on like raw, everyone, including myself were like, Oh, they have a movie of Roman Reigns coming. No, they don't. Uh, Why didn't you put him in there? You know? <laughs> yeah. So interestingly enough, his real name is, uh, Lieti Joseph Anoa'i. And it says here, this is kind of interesting. Although he was born in Pensacola, Florida, um, he is, his ancestry is Samoan, Italian, English, and, uh, Abrode Shoi, which I think is, um, Italian Albanian, like that, that territory. Nice. So, uh, whatever that mix is, it's, it's fantastic. It so, is the yeah. same or some of the same mix as he is related to the rock. He's one of their cousins. Yes. Uh, the rock, they've had some interactions whenever the rock would come back, including, a when they were trying to get Roman as a baby face, but they were forcing it. Nobody was liking it. They somehow got mm. the rock boot in Philadelphia because when he came out to celebrate with Roman, everyone was pissed. Roman won. Uh, uh, it took him a yeah. while to be like, Hey, maybe we should just run with this guy as a heel. But 
but there's been teasing. I think some people were thinking this year, since it was in Hollywood, they would do the Roman versus Rock match. I think there's a better chance now that the Rock's movies keep underperforming or bombing that he might come back because he'll still come back for his appearances but i mean once you get out of wrestling cena's realizing the same thing he did come back for a match earlier this year but one if you're in studio productions you know they want you to be safe because if you get hurt you know even if you're used to doing this all the time your body is not used to wrestling rock got injured in a match with cena at one point i think that halted some production so he hasn't really done many matches since and i can't I can't blame them because if you're a studio, you're like, yeah, you can go in and maybe run your mouth and hit somebody with a move, but we don't want you wrestling and hurting yourself. Yeah, exactly. I still don't know how his last name sounds very Samoan and we have Dwayne Johnson, but yeah. whatever. It I, is what it is. That's, anyway. that's, that's how the world is, baby. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, you know, I guess what movie doesn't have any NOYEs in it? Nobody is named Anawaii. That is Insidious the Red Door. Now, unless That's I'm right. wrong, <laughs> maybe there's some Anawaiis behind the camera. So why don't you go over the uh, technical aspects of this film, Jose? Absolutely. There are no Anawaiis. Oh. This is, uh, uh, well, I won't, I won't talk about the, <laughs> the diversity cast issues uh, here. Although, yeah, there was an initiative, and we'll we'll get to that particular actress uh, when when we do. But so, Insidious: The Red Door. It's the fifth in the uh, horror series. Just so everybody knows, one and two were fairly linear, even though there were some time jumps. And as per some of the writers on this, a lot of retconning. But episodes three or i'm sorry sequel movies three and four unfortunately were prequels and centered around a a character who only briefly appears in this film but this one appears to be a direct sequel to one and two so for the uninitiated if you're ready to jump into this and you've never seen any insidious uh you can either just go straight away and i will have a comment about that later in this uh the spoiler free uh section or you can watch one and two and then just jump in i i don't know i i don't feel like you need to see all of them to see this but there you go our director is actually the lead actor patrick wilson which i found as a huge surprise here uh actually wilson recently celebrated his uh july 3rd birthday he hails from norfolk virginia but grew up in florida I will let Red talk about some of his acting credits, but he has a BFA in drama from Carnegie Mellon, and he is known primarily for his work with theater and specifically Broadway. Obviously, his singing talent is something that he would show off in Joel Schumacher's somewhat reviled, but almost certainly underrated film adaptation of Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera. He has been featured in regional productions, so that's throughout California, of uh, the theater productions Sweet Bird of Youth, Cider House Rules, Romeo and Juliet the Musical, Lucky in the Rain, Carousel, and The Full Monty. Speaking of The Full Monty, he actually ended up in the Broadway production, and I do believe that he originated one of those roles for which he was nominated for Best Actor in a Musical for that. He's also received Drama League Award nominations for A Fascinating Rhythm and the the I'm sorry, the Broadway version of Bright Lights, Big City, and an Encore's nomination for something called Tenderloin, which I don't even know if it's a musical. I would love a musical about meat, I guess. Um, <laughs> this is, in fact, his first directorial debut. 
And just a few side notes, he's actually sung the national anthem at a New York Yankees game because he's a huge fan. Tom Hanks is noted as his inspiration for becoming an actor. He was actually a soloist with the Mostly Pops Orchestra and Canton Symphony Orchestra. He's been in three comic book films, which again, I'll let uh, Red discuss. And if you are wondering where his gorgeous looks come from, including his spectacular rump, which has been on display in numerous films, one of which prompted the uh, <laughs> prompted the person in front of me while I was watching Watchmen to say, this movie has way too much man ass. He literally said that out loud during the screening of Watchmen. Not enough man ass. Come on. <laughs> I know. But if you were wondering where his gorgeous looks come from, his ancestry is English, Scottish, Scots-Irish, Northern Irish, Welsh, and German. Our writers, we actually have two of them. I believe there's a story by credit for uh, Lee Whannell and then the screenplay by both Scott Teams and Lee Whannell. Um, maybe I got that wrong. I'm not sure. But Lee Whannell, he is a multi-hyphenate Aussie actor, writer, director. He and director James Wan, also from Oz, burst onto the scene with a little horror film called Saw, which was not only a sensation, but put them both on the map. It's also a hallmark horror film of the so-called torture porn genre alongside Eli Roth's Hostel. Now, that script started as an indie idea between Wanell and Juan that was going to actually star the both of them, but it caused such a stir, they were able to shop it, make a major uh, indie film, horror film about it, and the rest is history. Wanell is a graduate of the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology Media Arts, where he met uh, James Wan. He started on a show in Australia called Recovery, which aimed at teens. It was kind of like a sketch interview show that was widely regarded as introducing alternative culture to Oz audiences. Winnell eventually became the host in 1999. Previous collaborations with one include the screenplay and story to Saw 3, the horror film Dead Silence, Insidious and its sequels, which were a, in fact, a direct result of the torture porn label. Juan and Wanell wanted to actually make a film that was a ghost story versus something horrific like Saw. And in fact, it inspired Juan to then create the Conjuring series, which also starred Patrick Wilson and the Conjuring universe. Wanell has written the also written the films Cooties, which is a horror comedy film with Elijah Wood that actually is not bad, and a noted indie film called The Mule, which also stars Angus Sampson, who appears as Tucker in the Insidious series alongside James, I'm sorry, Lee Whannell, who also plays Specs. So that one uh, doesn't have uh, an old Clint Eastwood threesome? It does not. It oh. actually involves Angus Sampson showing off his anus wrapper because he's a drug mule. Oh, okay. Um, I mean, that's kind yes. of what the plot of the. I mean, I haven't seen the one with Eastwood. I just know about that. <laughs> I just know about that. Well, threesome. the mule does involve drugs, but there nothing goes up Eastwood's anus. And I don't most, watch it. most disappointingly. <laughs> most <laughs> disappointingly. Now I'm just gonna get rid of the Blu-ray I found. <laughs> it's not worth it anymore. Exactly. Um, Winnell is also an accomplished director. He cut his teeth directing the third Insidious sequel, which was a prequel. He also delivered the vastly underrated and grindhousey future noir film Upgrade, which incidentally is his next project. He is turning into a television series. Ooh. That was my big criticism slash suggestion when I first saw the film. I was like, this would better be expanded to a series. And here we go. Also, Winnell directed The Invisible Man, which... 
I am resurrecting the dark universe and I am sticking the invisible man in the dark universe alongside Dracula untold and Tom Cruise's the mummy. Well, I have not seen Dracula untold yet, but I did see Tom Cruise's the mummy, which I thought was terrible, but I did quite, quite like the invisible man. And if they're going to try this dark universe, I would prefer the tone go how they were doing with the invisible man than anything else. Um, the Mummy is epic and amazing. Uh, Tom Cruise, baby. Tom Cruise. Look, I love also, Tom Cruise, but epic and amazing, I don't feel a yes. tribute to The Mummy. No. Yes. And and I will add Fat Russell Crowe as Dr. Jekyll. Yeah, I mean, so he's there good, you go. but. Our other writer is Scott Teams. Teams should be familiar to horror fans for writing two previous Bloomhouse epics. Both controversially received, subsequently critiqued, notably Cold Halsey. I'm looking at Dave Gordon Green's Halloween Kills. I suppose Teams is responsible for the immortal line, Red. Evil dies tonight. There you go. And Teams also wrote the Firestarter reboot, which was resoundingly rejected at the box office. But Fire dies tonight. Wait, no. <laughs> which I quite enjoyed. However, trigger warning. In that film, a cat is the unlucky <gasps> recipient of Charlie's pyrokinesis anger. So just just as a warning. Now I'm never watching it. Screw it. No. Many people die a horrible flaming death, and it's awesome. So please check well, it out. That's cool, but you leave the cats alone. Come on. You know. Teams also created and wrote a Sundance Channel series called Rectify, which is fantastic. I No one really talks about it, but the writing and acting on that show is absolutely incredible. So please check that out. Teams also directed several episodes of the aforementioned Rectify and wrote and directed The Quarry, a little scene, but excellent drama starring Michael Shannon. Uh our notable producers are obviously James Wanell and Lee Wan. They are the architects of the series. And then, of course, one Jason Bloom, powerhouse producer and savvy businessman, the founder of Bloomhouse Studios. He is the gifter of many, a micro-budget thriller horror film that exponentially returns profits and allows Bloom to give us horror fans productions that sometimes miss the mark. I'm looking at Fantasy Island, The Forever Purge, Crimes the Visitor, and some that really do land. Lords of Salem, Creep, Get Out, Freaky, and Vengeance, just to name a few. Our other producer is Oren Pelly. He has produced from the beginning the Insidious films, but he arguably restarted the found footage craze with his writing director debut, Paranormal Activity, which spawned a ton of sequels. He's also done the found footage films, The Chernobyl Diaries, and Area 51. It's 51. Remember how we- I was right! I remember yeah. how we tanked on that. Or maybe I was. Episode. I can't remember if I said 52 at this point, but I know no, no, no. I was in the I, I 50. was 52. You said, okay, I think okay. you got it right. I think you got it well, right. Well, we were close. We were in the 50s regardless. We were we, in the 50s, yeah. right? Right. As opposed to the answer of life, which is 42. Um, <laughs> a found, Pelly also did a found footage TV show called The River, which was actually kind of awesome. Only lasted one season. Other notable producing efforts are The Lords of Salem, the video game Night Terrors, Bloody Mary, hmm. Bloody Mary, don't, don't say it again. Don't, yeah, don't. And then, <laughs> well, you're not in front of a mirror, so I think you're all right. I'm not. Well, well, but is Zoom is really a mirror for oh, life? Oh crap! It you are right. Oh, there you go. There's <laughs> the there's the uh, new version the of reboot. Bloody Mary. Yeah, there's the reboot. <laughs> yes. And then um, Barry Levinson's fantastically horrific. 
found footage film, The Bay. Yeah. Have you seen that? Yeah, that's good. Oh one. my God. That, that one that creeped me the F yeah. out. Ugh. And that one also, I mean, I know we just passed it, but that I believe takes place on a fourth of July weekend. So there's a next year. On the you, Chesapeake Bay. Yeah, so next year if you want something seasonal for Independence Day, there you go. But it's it's holy it, it's pretty God. chilly. There's some really creepy stuff in that movie. Yeah, if you uh I think this is another one of those like you know, when people come to you, they're like, what horror film should I watch that's really going to creep me out? Like, that's the one that should be the undercover, like, secret on everybody's list. Because yes. it's, it's, ugh, ugh. Um, I've only seen it once, and I refuse to watch it again. Uh, our music in Insidious the Red Door is done by Joseph Bashara. All that jangly discordant strings and piano stings rhymes uh he scored nearly all of the previous one and one l efforts including many of the conjuring verse films and spinoffs and by the way i will rep for the malignant movie which many people yeah, did not like so would i but, i thought it was fun but i would also rep for the soundtrack which bashara wrote which is pretty boss i listened to that while um watching body camera so anyway <laughs> which really sets the mood i will tell you uh and then our d- our DP is Autumn Eakin. She has worked in the camera department, working under such notable DPs as Maurice Alberti. He he lends the wrestler Velvet Goldmine and Creed, and Vanya Cernule, who is the DP for Thirty Rock, Orange is the New Black, and The Deuce. Uh, she hails from New Mexico, but was raised in Missouri. 33 credits to her uh, IMDb, many shorts and documentaries, but her notable feature films are Can You Keep a Secret and Design for All and 2022's The Invitation. That's the one directed by Jessica Thompson, not the Karin Kusama stressful horror film. She's also something of a go-to streamer DP, having lensed episodes for HBO Max's Insecure, Netflix's Grand Army, Facebook's Misguidance and then Amazon Prime's Modern Love. I feel like she just did the circuit, right? Yeah. Uh, I didn't but, even. Hey, I forgot about Facebook even trying to do like their own. They did. Of, the Facebook it, Watch. Yeah, wasn't it? Uh, what was the little QB or QD or whatever? It was kind of like that, wasn't it? <laughs> Cutie. No, that's actually Cutie is the name of my YouTube channel. But, um, <laughs> no, it was it was Quibby. Quibby, Quibby. That was it. But, uh, quick just, bites, Quibby. Quick, uh, well, I think that was kind of like what Facebook Watch was trying to do. If I'm correct, I remember WWE yes. tried getting in on that, and they would do certain like special matches like oh no go to facebook watch and you can see this and you know i was like eh, no yeah it was like definitely eh. um and then just two shout outs our stunt coordinator is daniel hargrave he is the brother of one sam hargrave who directed the most recent extraction 2 on netflix hargrave and his brother are stunt coordinators stunt performers they are absolutely amazing they're also really gorgeous and hairy um, and our other stunt coordinator is Tracy Ruggiero. She is actually a stunt woman extraordinaire. I've been a huge fan of hers. She has doubled uh, actresses like Missy Peregrine, who is on FBI, Callie Cuoco on the flight uh, attendant television series, Catherine Moaning on Ray Donovan. Um, I mean, everybody from like Carrie Russell to Emily Mead to Meghan Markle. The woman is amazing. Uh, yeah. And to you, Red, with the cast. Yes, and this will actually be one of the shorter cast lists because I only have a couple of people that are real focus here. There's a few I originally had, but I figured, you know what, I'm not going to spoil that. I'll, I'll leave that go. So, as you mentioned, our 
Director is also the star. That is Patrick Wilson. He is returning as the father, Josh Lambert. He is most known for films, obviously, The Conjuring franchise, which came after this, and it's kind of eclipsed this franchise, uh, yeah. especially financially. Uh, he was in Watchmen, as you mentioned, with all that man-ass. Aquaman, <laughs> Prometheus, The A-Team, uh, Morning Glory, which I actually quite like. Uh, it's yes. uh, kind of like a Good Morning America type riff. Uh, Harrison View- Ford, right? Yeah, Harrison Ford, Diane Keaton, Rachel McAdams. It was actually quite good. Uh, yep. Lakeview Terrace, The Founder, mm. that was the McDonald's uh, Ray Kroc biopic starring Michael Keaton. Bone Tomahawk, Young Adult, Hard Candy, which, oh man, what a watch that. That is a hard yes. watch, no pun intended. Whew. It also has it also has a weird, there's a, there's a it's kind of a, a, a weird shading to viewing that film now, mm-hmm. considering that um, the young actress in there has now completed uh, becoming transgendered mm. and um, being a female to male. Yes, so yeah. it was Ellen Page at that time and Elliot Page yes. now. So, yeah. Uh, as you mentioned, was in Joel Schumacher's Divisive, the Phantom of the Opera adaptation? I would say so, yeah. I think it's it's actually best. pretty damn good. Yeah, I, I actually kind of like it too. So, uh, he was in the Alamo, uh, as well as the series Fargo and a Gifted Man. And I feel like I missed his third comic book because I had Watchmen and Aquaman. What was the. He was the president in Batman versus Superman. That's it. Man, I can't believe I forgot to bring I knew there was a third one. I thought I had them all. Returning as his, I was about to say a strange wife, but that's just divorced wife, uh, is as Renee Lambert is Rose Byrne, the lovely Rose Byrne. Uh, She rose to fame with comedies a lot, such as Bridesmaids, Spy, the Two Neighbors films, Get Him to the Greek, even recently in Spirited. She is no stranger to comic books herself. She is in uh, some of the X-Men movies, starting with First Class, Troy, Attack of the Clones, 28 Weeks Later, so no stranger to horror, Knowing, Sunshine, Marie Antoinette, Annie, uh, those two Peter Rabbit movies, which I don't think I'll ever see, as well as series such as Echo Point and Damages, and hopefully I'm still correct. I believe she's still married to Bobby Cannavale, who I love. So that just seems yes. like a lovely couple. What a great couple. Oh my is. God. Gorgeous couple. Also, I want to know what's going on between her and Seth Rogen. Not that I'm saying there's anything salacious, but they have worked together a lot. Yeah, there have, have been a number of projects. In fact, I think there's a TV series that they're doing now, right? The mm-hmm. both of them. Uh, I think um, it might just be their comedy stylings match up because yeah, they, they I think worked, it's like professional. Yeah, they yeah. worked really well together in both neighbors films, and I think honestly it has to do yeah. with it because I think it's good that like obviously Rose Byrne has is branched out. I mean, she even did dramas with Susan Sarandon, like The Meddler. But I think sometimes people forget that like yeah, her calling is comedy so i think i wonder if that yeah. also just has to do with it and especially now that rogan is doing more producing uh yes so and i think um i think burn probably caught everybody's attention on an fx show called damages with glenn close yes. she was fantastic at it she's also australian by the way many will uh misidentify her as like uh from the uk but yeah she's i think australian. she i think there's also been times well no i think neighbors have well she's played like, british people yeah yeah she has but i was gonna <laughs> yes. say actually i think they did subvert that and i think they mentioned that she's australian in neighbors i was gonna give okay. an example but uh returning as their eldest son Dalt- dalton lambert is ty simpkins uh he was the kid in iron man 3 jurassic world the nice guys he was recently in the whale revolutionary road the next three days and the guiding like series i ended up not including them but the two younger siblings also returned but neither of them really had much of careers or really a focus in this movie so yeah 
Uh, Except but, for Foster, maybe. Yeah, but. Foster a little bit. But so the whole crew is returning from the first two films. But those are the three that get the heavy focus here. Uh, joining them uh, first is Chris Winslow as Sinclair Daniel, which I love. The joke in the movie is that Chris Winslow is a female. She ends up being the college roommate of uh, Dalton Lambert. And then when yeah. you hear the name Sinclair Daniel, I, I think that's probably why they made that joke. Because that, <laughs> if I didn't tell you this, you would think it's you know more likely exactly. Male. Uh, exactly. She's an upcoming actress. Uh, only really, this is her first real full movie. She did a TV movie called One December Night, and then she's appeared on episodes of series such as The Good Fight, Bull, and Madam Secretary. For some reason, I thought I had seen her before. I was thinking maybe something else from Bloomhouse, like a Happy Death Day or the Black Christmas remake that they did, but it does not seem to be the case. I'm curious to see where her career goes. We'll get to her in here. And then lastly, oh, yeah. This is kind of a thankless role, and if it wasn't a notable, recognizable face, I wouldn't have included it. But playing the art professor of Dalton Lambert is, hopefully I pronounced this correctly, Hiam Abbas. Uh, you will recognize Good. her from films such as Blade Runner 2049, The Visitor, that is not the 70s movie, but cult movie, but the one with uh, Richard Jenkins that netted him an Oscar nomination. Mm, yes. Munich, she was in the recent Hellraiser, which we cover back in October, Inheritance, but also mostly well-known for series such as Raimi, The State. And the reason I brought her up and I immediately recognized her is she has a recurring role in HBO's Succession. Uh, it's always That's great right. when I can reference a show that I have actually seen. <laughs> so I'm going to keep it at that. Anybody else that pops up, like they don't really have – they're just kind of bystanders. And there's a couple of people that I said, oh, I'll keep them. We'll maybe discuss them in the spoiler section, but I'll, I'll keep them out of the – Spoiler free, which will transition us to the spoiler free section. So, Jose, what are your spoiler free thoughts on Insidious, the Red Door, the fifth installment in the long running, I guess, franchise? Yes, <laughs> yes the long running franchise. So, um, first of all, I do I do love the first two films. Um, and I uh, and I say love because I think especially with horror horror it's so easy to <laughs> it's easy to say you're homaging something and then it just comes off as either a pale comparison or just like imitation right so imitation is the sheerest form of flattery sometimes it doesn't always work i bring that up because insidious one and two are obviously just poltergeist redone um, in fact, in the first in the first film, there's a scene where Lee Winnell is is laying his head on a counter that looks exactly like the Freeling's kitchen, and he's got a steak on his head. Like you can't get any more let's call back poltergeist than that. Okay, um, and he's a paranormal expert, right? Uh, and so I thought that although it was homage and it was like God, this is just poltergeist, I did enjoy the jangly jump scares and sort of like the craziness of both of those, both of those movies. Um, I didn't really enjoy um, any of the other two. They just felt very, very tired. Although I will say the fourth one, the last key was a great showcase for Lynn Shay, who I'm always going to rep for. I, I will watch her in anything. In fact, I have, uh, she loves to play these sort of like unhinged, maybe quirky characters, but when she's on screen, she's always a joy to watch. So I was looking forward to this being a continuation of one and two. And when the credits rolled, all I could think of is what 
Red has said on this show many, many, many times, which is the biggest crime a horror film or any film can commit is to be boring. Mm -hmm. And Jesus God, had I not been a huge fan of this, I probably would have fallen asleep or I might've walked out. Um, I mean, but for the fact that Ty Simpkins, who I'm not entirely sold. So Ty, Ty Simpkins actually has top billing, which I also found very surprising. Um, but it is centered around his character of Dalton. But the actor who plays Dalton, Ty Simpkins, he was in The Whale. We all know him as the little kid in those films, right? So it's always hard to judge little kids acting, okay? Um, but for the most part, he was pretty stellar in Iron Man 3, mm -hmm. uh, which I, I would say is probably the the most acting that he had done as a, as a child. So I think the verdict is still out on whether he's a great actor, but he was really, really good in The Whale. He's also a very good-looking kid. He grew up to be very gorgeous. So he holds the screen. He's not a bad actor. Um, but for him and Sinclair Daniel, who really, really made this movie, we'll get into um, why I think her character is actually important in the horror horror genre <laughs> and in this film and this series, actually. Uh, I'll, I'll talk about why I think her role in particular is groundbreaking in an otherwise unremarkable and boring film um but but for the two of them it, this is just it is tired and i think me having seen the other films actually unfortunately uh colored my viewing of this in some ways because i was on to their tricks while i appreciated that there aren't as many upfront jump scares. So there aren't as many, you know, piano piano stings or jangling music. There's a lot of um, quiet building where things just kind of appear in the background and that's where your suspense comes from. Um, there's a lot of that, but eventually what happens is, is there's too much of it and it becomes very, very tiring. Um, and, and like I said, it's just, it's boring. And as much as I love Patrick Wilson, like I, I think he's a great actor. I think he's a great singer, except for, and I'm going to spoil it now. He sings on the song in the opening, I'm sorry, the ending credits. And the song on the ending credits is miserable. I mean, I know it's I, a remake. I did not I know realize that was him. Oof. It Oof. is. It is. Well, so he, he comes in. Uh, towards the end of it with some backup vocals, but he sounds very similar to the lead singer of ghost, which is we're talking about it, the song is called stay by Shakespeare's sister. And it is just, it's so cringy. I was oh, like, wow, wow. It's terrible. Like scooter. And I were just laughing as it was playing. But anyway, I digress. Um, Wilson is kind of showing his age. He's still gorgeous. The thing about Wilson I love is he's very, very talented. He sings. He's great. He's, for me, he's always a joy to watch, not just because he's beautiful. There's something very like at once masculine and feminine about his face that is just so compelling. Like I just I could stare at his face all day. Um, but but it's all it's just it's tiresome, it's 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 bad. It feels like one of those 
horrible indie direct-to-video films that shows up on like Prime or Netflix, where it's like also recommended for Jose, right? And then you watch it, and then you're just kind of like, this sucks, right? Um, so unfortunately, even though it's a direct continuation, and I did like some of the beats in the movie, it takes forever to get started. It's super, super fucking boring. Um, and there's some really weird touches in this, like some weird social commentary about like mm-hmm. fraternities and then like, you know, liberal artists and liberal arts. And then like, you know, all of that stuff. I'm like, where is this shit coming from? Like where did teams in one L decide to just inject this shit in there? Right. It, it very much felt like they, those two as well as Wilson were trying to be progressive and maybe even hip, but like, Hey, I understand. But it very much felt like it was written by older people, not the, characters that are speaking it they didn't feel like exactly. this was written or spoken by teenagers or early 20 year olds you know right it made it made it made me think of like you know kevin williamson and his writing on like dawson's creek right yeah. uh like like kids don't talk like that yeah. they do now but they didn't talk like that back then so um unfortunately this this is a it, it's a massive skip um because it's just it's uh I, I would rather this not have come out now did patrick wilson direct this I mean, was it a good directorial effort? Um, I think for what it is, it's there are some really, really strong dramatic moments, both from Simpkins as well as Wilson. It's just shat, it's just sad that it was shat into this film. <laughs> okay. I'm not even gonna say shoehorn, but it was literally shat out into this film. And um even even Lin Shay can't save this. Uh, you know, so, and, and neither can Rose Byrne actually, who has a very, very small role in this. And, and, uh, even the appearance of, uh, paranormal experts from the other films, like their small little cameo doesn't even help either. It's just, uh, it's a hot mess. And then Autumn Eakin, I, I have no doubt she's a strong DP. She has, apprenticed with some really really great dps and i don't know if it was my screening but damn it this thing was dark and the photography was awful some of these some of the the darkness and the scenes here are like unwatchable i was like did somebody you know company three what happened over there and your digital intermediate and your and your post-production stuff like the photography was just bad it was bad so unfortunately I'm I'm kind of angry and very very disappointed by this and so yeah it's a massive skip. So I think where you started to hit the nail on the head and you hit the nail quite a bit but was even before we started this review and you were just kind of saying I don't really know if you should go with the first two or just maybe dive into this and really I I wouldn't really recommend this either way. But if you haven't seen any of the other Insidious movies, this might actually do you better just to see this one first. Because the biggest issue with this movie, and I bumped into somebody I went to college with at the screening, and we agreed, was we're all just sitting around waiting for these characters to realize what we already know. Because the whole crux of this is about repression, suppression, uh, Wilson and Simpkins. They both underwent therapy that caused them to forget everything that happened in those first two movies in the coma but we all know everyone that came to see this knows what happens. So we're just sitting around for them to find this red door that we all know what's behind it. We've seen the red Darth Maul light creature and all this other stuff. The lipstick demon. Yeah, the lipstick (laughs) demon. And it's just, 
I mean, it's not obviously as aggressive, but I mentioned last week where I think I'm getting burned out on legacy sequels. It almost makes this kind of like a legacy sequel because it's like, well, you know, I don't really remember too much about three or four outside of we'll have, you know, some cameos, but just remember all this stuff and we'll replay some of the scenes from the first two or recreate them. And it's just like... I, I don't want this. And it's honestly a shame because I think, one, uh, I greatly enjoy the first one. I think the second one's okay, but is definitely, you know, law of diminishing returns. I barely even remember the third. I just think it has Dylan McDermott. I think that's about it. I can remember. And then, McDermott Mulroney. Mulroney. See, I wasn't even sure which <laughs> Dylan was. Wrong Dylan. Uh, or or wrong, not even wrong sorry. D. Wrong, wrong D. DM. Yeah, wrong DM. Wrong DM. <laughs> Wrong DM, and, and it's the red D in this one. Well, I'm the D. Um, but and then the fourth one, the last key, which I did see at the theater with a friend. Um, I, I loved it, the heavier emphasis, even more in that on uh, Lynn Shay. But my biggest issue was I thought the paranormal investigator's humor just got too grating for me. So that one was kind of a. Uh, so I was like, okay, yeah. I'm fine with going back to these characters. It definitely made me think. Well, now that the Conjuring franchise has come along, it's hard to remember that Patrick Wilson was just a dad because we're used to him being the ones fighting. So I, I think they had that uphill battle. And like, like you said, I mean, there's some decent enough like stage scares in here. Maybe it was your screen. Well, I kind of agree with your photography because there are moments where I think it's too dark and I think it's just intentional because it's like if you don't see anything and it jumps out. But there are other times I thought they did it well. Like there's the 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 scene where he's trapped in the MRI machine, which is pretty creepy. And one thing that I liked about this was even it's similar to Smile where yes, there are jump scares, but they telegraph them purposely. So you're more, the fear is in anticipating them. And here you yeah. see, even though there's a couple of egregious jump scares, a lot of them, you're seeing the ghosts or the demons behind them. Some really good foreground shots. But, but the issue out is one, again, we know all of this. So we're just sitting around waiting for everyone else to figure it out. It's kind of like it chapter two, where it's like, yeah, when you split them up like that, the books and you're getting rid of the flashbacks, like yeah, we all, we knew what you went through. Just get there. Right. <laughs> I don't need to wait for you to figure it out. Um, but two, damn you, Muschietti. <laughs> but but the other issue is just like nothing here is all that special or unique. It's going through the motions, and it very much reeks of a first-time director. I think that Wilson has some directing chops here, but yeah, I mean, it, it's not a surprise to find this is his first directing job because he's taking everything very almost too tenderly. Like he's really. He's done so much homework on how to set up these scenes that, I mean, you mentioned like Poltergeist and how that these were basically a homage, but Juan and Wynell and company were able to find ways to make it their own, whether it be through their designs or some of their own humor and whatnot. Here, this never really felt like his own movie. It just felt like any other ghost movie that he has saw, he has seen, and the dramatic beats are a little bit better, but again, even though I loved the two Simpkins and... Uh, the uh, Sinclair Daniel, as much as I enjoyed those two together, they, they get some really bad dialogue here, especially when you get the yeah. stuff with like Nick the Dick and all the frat stuff. The humor is just bad. Uh, though yeah. I did like her bit where like she's trying to pretend that they're a couple and they're making out to avoid getting uh, caught. And then like later she yeah. genuinely is like, oh, I should have asked you permission. I'm sorry. I was just thinking. So some of that's okay, but it very much feels like it's written by older people. Like you should just ask these kids, uh, how would you actually handle this or how do you think people would? Cause this, it's, 
if nothing in this is egregiously terrible, but the fact that it's just boring arguably makes it worse. And I couldn't help but think of the boogeyman, which I briefly mentioned a few episodes ago. And coming out of this, I, I kind of thought I was like, well, I think I liked it a little bit more than that, but. I think I might give the edge to the Boogeyman. The only reason I would still say I like this more was the Boogeyman's biggest issue is the fact that the titular monster and some of the horror elements really don't feel like they belong, even though I get they were using the drama and the monsters as a metaphor for loss and you know mental illness, kind of like Smile mm-hmm. does. Here, mm-hmm. I at least felt the two complimenting each other better. That one, it was just like, this monster has not, it does not fit into this movie. But that movie's drama was a little bit more understated. I think the problem here is it gets the dialogue is a little bit too blunt. I mean, there are still moments in this that like when, because the whole thing is, uh, you know, Wilson and Simpkins are always at odds because of the divorce and, you know, they don't really know what happened, but clearly with the mother passing, uh, not Rose Byrne, but their mother, Barbara Hershey, uh, they know something's up. So they kind of have at it after he drops Simpkins off in, at his dorm room uh, and he kind of lashes out, calls him ungrateful. And then when Wilson's walking to his car and like holding back tears so he doesn't cry in front of all these kids, that's an effective moment. But the problem yeah. is you just have little moments that don't really add up to a whole bunch. And like you said, this is a boring movie. It's not, I think it's only like an hour and 41 or 47 minutes, but it, it drags quite a bit. It feels like two hours and It ten. does. And honestly, <laughs> like we'll get to it more when we get to the, the finale, but for a movie that's taking its time building towards a finale, that finale was really underwhelming. It felt rushed. Um, I, you know, and again, it was still all too familiar, but I just was like, why am I sitting around waiting for these characters to figure out everything? And then once they do, we barely get to see anything new then. Like that was your opportunity to get past the, the legacy sequels, quote unquote, trappings of this movie and do something unique and you really didn't and like you said rose burn is barely utilizing this and i know that was a purposeful point because of the divorce but at the same time you know a lot of this is more focused on simpkins so and he clearly has at least a better bond with his mother than he does his dad so you could have even though he's away at college you could have more phone calls i don't know if stuff got left on the cutting room floor I just, the end result was really just a, almost lazy. Because my issue with the legacy sequels, and I said it with Dial of Destiny, is a lot of times you had these coming after very divisive or hated installments. Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for Indiana Jones, the 2016 reboot of Ghostbusters, where when you get these movies, even if they're kind of fun, you can tell they're... They feel like, hey, we just need to have a nice, enough callbacks and try to capture enough of the spirit that as long as it's okay and decent, people will be fine. And to me, that can be more detrimental and boring sometimes. And I kind of felt like that was here. Like, outside of a couple of cameos and sometimes including humor, they really tried to get away from that and went heavy on the drama, but mm. went too hard with it. And it's just felt like a mixture of returning to form and this being Wilson's directorial <laughs> debut. He wanted to play it safe while he learned the rope. So I'm curious to yeah. see, you know, especially if he does a drama, cause he handled that a little bit better where he goes from here as a director. But this was, yeah, this was a skip. I don't know if I go, it's weird. Cause I don't know if I'd say as far as a massive, but at the same time, I, I kind of agree with you because the worst thing a film could be, like you said, and I've said is boring. And really that's what this is. If, it, if I'm uninspired and I'm going, well, I didn't hate it. I kind of did then, didn't I? Because if I don't really have much to say about it, that's worse than if I came out hating something. Because at least then I would remember and had some type of, maybe not enthusiasm, but energy or passion behind like my viewing of the film. Uh, Some kind of connection to it. Connection. I've really got nothing to this. It just, this really felt like the 
a cash in of a sequel. Like we, we want to bring yeah. back the insidious films and we want to go back to its roots. So here you go. So I think we're going to, co- let's, let's coin another term on our show. Maybe we need a glossary to yes, like, accompany like our show. We should do it. But um, <clears throat> this feels like it got marvelized. Ooh, okay. I see. <laughs> okay. Because yeah, it's just, it it's repeating all the other effective moments of the other films, it is rejiggering the family dynamic. So instead of instead of the you know Rose Byrne in the second film dealing with the possessed Patrick Wilson, this is you know the possessed son and the father trying to like get back together, that kind of thing. So it's just yeah, it got marvelized and it was it, it was bad. But thank you so much for bringing up. Um, I guess I was just so angry over it being boring and terrible that. Um, that uh yeah i i walked out and i had the exact same thing that you had which was we all know where this is headed so everything is just a waiting game for the characters and that is that is a terrible position to put the audience in so that's the that's the first thing i'm saying thank you for for yeah. bringing that up um because that was really the b- most paramount thought that i had leaving the the movie theater but the other thought i had was and you hit it right on the nail of this head the head of this nail. Thank you. Sorry. <laughs> Backwards. Um, this, believe it or not, and I did this with I did this with Dial of Destiny. Objecti- objectively speaking, as an audience member, this actually works if you have never seen the other ones. In fact, it it probably becomes a tighter thriller if you have never seen any of the other ones because of the fact that you go on the journey of these characters um, catching up with the story. And uh, without saying, you know, why it's this way, we'll do that in the next section. Um, I think it would be an even more, I think an audience member would get more out of it and feel that it's more effective if they had, ne- if they had no other insidious uh, contact or had, uh, hadn't seen any of the other films because it actually works on its own having never known any of the stuff in the other other films and it actually might be like you said better for somebody who has never seen them yeah um i'd be uh, curious uh, i mean obviously my it's still a massive yeah and the person that i saw uh, i bumped into after the screening had seen the other ones so i'd be curious if like somebody hadn't seen maybe they would take to it better but as it stands and they have to know though like the majority of the people coming to see a fifth film have seen the other ones anyway and and the, I, yeah so it was a really wacky yeah. decision that and, they went that and way and i still wonder too because like i think it would work better but some of those moments the way they stage it are like hey this is a callback to this so it's like would that feel too abrasive or aggressive for somebody who hasn't seen it because like would they recognize they're trying to call back something that they don't know well Um, i mean we talked about that we talked about that with dial of destiny mm -hmm. as well like it it works not only as a callback and reverence for the material and fan service but it also works for a new viewer to be like hey i think i'll check out those other indie movies right whereas here I don't know that people would be like, hey, I think I'll check out yeah. those other Insidious movies. And honestly, if they did, I mean, <laughs> I guess the first one would still mainly work, but I feel like this would cut the legs out from underneath two, since a lot of this is obviously following up as a direct sequel to two. Everything that they've repressed is really coming from two and Patrick Wilson being possessed and whatnot. So I feel like two... That's, you, 
that's what I was, that was the salient point I was trying to leave for the next, oh, well, <laughs> the next segment. Well, yeah, mm, but, uh, and anyway, uh, okay. So, uh, unfortunately it's, it's a massive skip for me yeah. and that is, that's a new term, massive skip. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's a skip for me. It's just, it's, it goes through the motions. What can you say? It's blah. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So if you have not seen Insidious, the red door, we are going to be walking through the red door <laughs> and spoiling it in three, two, one. Okay. So let's talk about this frat boy thing. Nick, the dick. Oh boy. Oh, was that a, but was that an anal bead that we saw come into the, so, I so what so. happened in, so what happened in this is, 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 uh, is Dalton goes to a frat party and he's hiding under Nick the Dick's uh, bed and Nick the Dick, Nick the Dick comes in and he's talking to himself and he's being like, yeah, it's, it's going down tonight. It's going down tonight. And you see his feet and then something drops into view. And it, I swear to God, it looks like an anal bead. We, I will not I'm all can imagine going- why I think it's an anal bead. And then, and then he picks up a condom, right? Mm-hmm. And then they're in the room and Nick the Dick walks back in, presumably with who he's going to have sex with. And you can't really see it because <clears throat> bad photography. But in the background, it's two men. Ooh. It was two men. So I was like, wait a minute. Is A, is Nick the Dick gay? B, was he about to get gangbanged by two fraternity brothers? Because then he says, oh, you're cute enough where if we were drunk enough, we might have sex with you. So I was like, where is it coming from? Like, uh, it was first off, I agree. I think it was anal beads, even if it wasn't the gay reveal. I just they went so heavy on him being like a sex maniac that. Yeah. Like, what else would it really? It had to be something sexual. And that just makes. And then it's like, ha ha ha. He's actually gay. Yeah. Which (laughs) it's I don't know if like I think I'm giving him way too much credit to even try to say this. I don't know if it's their way of trying to have a commentary on what used to be acceptable because there's the commentary of, you know, now. Nowadays, like trying to be uh, liberal and understanding and progressive. Or if I honestly, what I think really is, I just think it's bad comedy. And I think you, as much as I complained in the spoiler free section of like, you have older people trying to rate younger teens. This very much felt like it because this is what they would have associated college with in 70s, 80s, maybe even 90s. And it's like, yeah, Nick the Dick probably still exists, but I feel like maybe either not in this way or like, I just don't see this. This person being somewhat accepted because that's the weird thing. They they present him as if he's like this big man on campus, but at the same time, all of his jokes fall flat. Everybody's laughing at him. So I'm like, is he? Like, I don't know what the yeah. hell this dude is. Like, you, is he the frat rem- king? And do or- you remember the? Well, he's he, yeah, he's like a self proclaimed like frat king. But remember the party? He gives his big speech, and then he's like, yeah, what it feels to be a man. And then, like, the diverse crowd is just looking at him silent, like, mm-hmm. what are you talking about? And then the one guy's like, or whatever. Yeah. Um, it, it but didn't I thought, feel like it did not belong in this. I know it's because it, did, it also- didn't belong there. And I think maybe, maybe it was a counterpoint to the fact that, you know, fraternities, hazing culture, he sees the ghost of the boy that was hazed and died, presumably from alcohol poisoning, because all he does is vomit. Um, and then we see the new fraternity type who is you know, liberal, maybe bisexual. He has face products on when he's like studying with the girl. He takes shits in front of women. I mean, I guess, yeah. I guess that's progressive. Sure. And it's also weird too, because this is at a liberal arts college. Great. And I never went to a liberal arts college, but I would believe this is always, they've always been the more progressive anyway. So I don't really know if they would ever attract a Nick the Dick 
to the degree that he's here. Because I don't know what right. anybody else besides, and I know it's because, you know, we're just focused on Ty, but like, I think they mentioned it, but what the hell does uh, Sinclair even go to, to school for? Is it photography? Is it Because it has to be some type of art degree. I think I, she was music. Music, that because was it, of, that was it. I couldn't because remember. Because of the... The weird. Oh. Does that instrument even exist? Yeah, you how low into the? Yeah, how does piano? that instrument even work? So it's a, p- a piano, like a small keyboard piano, but then you blow into it as if it's, I guess, uh, a harmonica. A harmonica. But what, like, do you blow and then have to press the button, or is it like a bagpipe where you, when you blow, you have to like trap? Yeah, but bagpipes are trapping the air. That's what you're messing with. Yeah, this but isn't this trapping one, I think air. You, I think you blow and finger. Yeah, what's the point? Just finger then. You don't need to blow. Is this just because haha looks funny and like it, it's like that's what Nick the Dick does? I don't know. Like again, this movie is this the scripting is a cavalcade of why is this in here? What is this? Why are we doing this? It's yeah. so some of it is so bizarre. Yeah, you could also, have had everything with that ghost that had been uh, you know, the frat ghost that had been uh, hazed without having Nick the Dick or anything. If anything, it probably would have been more pronounced because you would have had like, hey, this is where, you know, we are progressively, but here's the the ghost of our past, which is the whole point of the movie, is the demons of your past and facing them. So Yes, it but also it had just, even more it dovetailed yeah, but it dovetailed with the fact that they were like six censors, right? They were like, we see dead people, yeah. right? And I, gotta so, be honest, I know it's not the first time this series has really done the actual projection, but man, did I think it came off tacky in this. It was yeah. really lousy. It didn't like there was no real ground rules that they set. He could just kind of control it and not like when he and here's the thing. I like the character of Sinclair a lot, but they made her the most forgiving human being in the entire world because so, she believes when she first, yeah. uh, when, when he first astral projects and discovers he could do this, and he goes into her new room because she got reassigned. Even though they became friends, they just, they did the reassignment anyway, just to you know play it safe because he wasn't quite comfortable living with a girl. Um, so he sneaks into her room and he starts playing, blowing into that weird instrument, and then <laughs> wakes her up. He freaks out and runs out, but she doesn't quite think it's a ghost she thinks oh shit it's him because he was playing the song so she confronts him and then in the next moment after he tries to explain himself she comes back as like hey look i found this thing on astral projection and it's just like yeah this is you now like not yeah. she's not mocking him she just believes it even though he never i was just like i'm fine because so, you're moving things along but what <laughs> so it's weird it's it's weird that you see it that way and i saw it as uh and this is this is why it's sad that this character appears in this in this film. First of all, she's a black woman. She's smart enough to know I need to fucking walk away from this situation, which I also found pretty incredible. She's smarter than Ty Simpkins. Um, and she, although she is the plot device of, let me explain these things to the audience. Um, I think that in, a, in the horror genre, here is a strong, intelligent, open-minded progressive black female who kind of escapes some of the trappings of the horror film right even though she gets stuck in some of the tropes of the horror films right but i really really did enjoy the how they wrote that character um even with all of its flaws like i just thought her performance was was pretty cool and maybe a little genre tropey groundbreaking so not the blackening but you well, know. That, i was gonna say i did see that recently so that kind of colors the no pun intended there but it does uh change up the viewing of how they present that character i guess my issue is i liked her a bit and i like the fact i mean it's probably progressive the fact that i didn't even think of that i just seen her as another character 
but she still kind of falls victim to them and it's not in your Kevin Williamson kind of way or even the blackening kind of way. And yeah. like you said, she just feels more like a plot device. Like she is there to prop up Ty Simpkins as opposed to as great as the performances and that actress is, and I think she's going to do great things. Yes, I really, yes. I really feel like she kind of got shortchanged in this, and she just felt like she had to be there since we, we weren't going to have Rose Byrne propping up her son. She was the de facto, hey, no, you're not. But, you know what I mean? su- She was the surrogate support. Surrogate the surrogate support. emotional support. And, and yeah. that kind of undermined, intentionally or unintentionally, some of the avoidances of the trappings that her character normally would have. And it just made a character that for me, again, just came off as almost too forgiving to the point where, yeah, she is 100% smarter, even in the way she acts, not just because she's written that way, but then she still has to do some dumb things every now and then just to service the plot and get things moving. And it's just like, I don't know. It's just, you know, I, I, I agree with some of the points that you're saying, but I see it. I see it the other way. She is, she is the Whoopi Goldberg. Hmm. Uh, of this of this uh, horror film, um, viewers that don't know, that's the reference to the fact that Whoopi Goldberg stole Ghost out of out, out from under uh, Demi Moore and Patrick Swayze with such a comedic, wonderful role. And she, I, I, for me, she's a similar type here. Sure. She livens up the very, very boring proceedings. Um, so the the spoiler point that I was going to get to is at the end of the second film where Patrick Wilson is possessed by a ghost, which we discover had been trailing him since childhood and was in fact a, a, uh, well, I I think the term is outdated, but it was, I'm not going to say it, but there was a man who was dressing as a woman because of a uh, psychological trauma with his mother. Um, And anyway, at the end of that film, they hypnotize both Dalton and the father um, into forgetting about the fact that they can astral project and then forgetting about um, all the things that happen. And so when the movie starts, they don't really go into it. They just kind of like throw it at you like stale popcorn. And they just say, hey, they forgot about this shit. And then they just go on with it. And you see these t- characters tortured with, why can't I remember this whole year? Why did my marriage fail? And I don't remember what happened. Um, but like you said before in the spoiler section, we know exactly what the hell happened. And so it's just this waiting game of the characters catching up. Um, and so I think they did themselves a disservice by starting at that point and then, and then just not getting quick enough to where everybody realizes everything. Yeah. And also, also as a side note, they apparently sent Dalton to college with three outfits because he appears to be wearing, (laughs) he appears to be, he appears to be wearing the same, um, uh, waist-tied drawstring pants for all of the scenes, okay, until he tries to murder her with by pulling the, the rope out. Um, and then apparently there were two tops, like two two T-shirts, and that was all they sent him to college with. <laughs> yeah, terrible. And, and that finale, it's just everything was so... Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got to tiptoe through the tulips. I remember when we played that the first time? But then it's like, yeah, Dalton kind of gets possessed, but then Patrick Wilson kind of just saves him quickly. You you briefly see the lipstick monster and some of the other demons that we have seen, but they're able to, the whole resolution is, Hey, we can't hold this, this red door shut. So Dalton realizes, cause he, part of his actual projection is that he could also, the drawing, the paintings that he's making represent that. So he just kind of basically 
paints blood over and blackens out the door. So it's like, I can't, cause it's, it's so on the nose. I can't erase my past, but yes. I can learn from it. And that's the other issue. This thing's way too on the nose with it. It is. I'll give the boogeyman credit. I mean, it's a bit on the nose too, but at least it's drama. Didn't it felt a little bit more earned. And granted, they also had the, the father being, uh, a therapist. So you can same with smile. It's, I guess I'm a little bit more forgiving somehow if you're going to be on the nose by just being like, well, if we just make it people that would talk like this, but here it's just the yeah. way that Ty, it talks about how he's conquering his demons. It very much felt like what a therapist would tell someone, but we right. didn't really have the therapist telling him or that. It's just like, well, this doesn't feel well, the way you the say art, it does not feel our teacher. Well, we had the art teacher doing the whole uh, therapy shit. Yeah. And by the way, that whole scene, like, did they watch Tar and decide that yeah. they wanted to do a student takedown? That, that's that, another what the fuck yeah, it, yeah, and that's it, not is even just, going on. Yeah, tar <laughs> and just what you imagine all of these very aggressive but well-intentioned teachers, I guess, are. Because that's the only difference is they at least make it that she's – well, now she's still – trying to make she's still a see you next tuesday yeah guy's like i worked hard on this i'm not gonna rip it up and she's like then you can go and i'm like yeah and it's so i love that actress she's great in succession (laughs) but this was not a good role for her because the performance was just so over the top like then you you can go and then of course when ty (laughs) just rips up his you know drawing and she's like that was a beautiful painting you're gonna get it was like fuck all of this and then she was like rip it up again yeah whatever i'm like uh, oh she's a masochist and an art teacher yeah and i'm so i I guess i'm happy (laughs) that they didn't but i wonder if there's a deleted scene where she gets involved in some of these uh like one of these hauntings because it feels weird that like she doesn't get trapped in any of this but yeah yeah yeah. but that whole finale just feels so rushed so if i'm gonna sit here because a lot of it too was just based on they both learned that you know wilson was possessed but ty doesn't realize that he just thinks his dad went insane so now as he's you know astral projecting back to this moment and seeing his dad and we're like yeah we fucking know your dad's possessed and you don't can you just figure it out like that's so much so i'm beginning i'm beginning to think that Juanel and Juan's big thing with this and Saw is to retcon everything. Yeah. Because the the other thing is, is they introduce the grandfather character. And so now mm. we realize the lipstick demon is in fact the grandfather. The grandfather had the mental illness. That's why it was handed down to him that he can astral project as well because it wasn't really schizophrenia. His father could astral project. But it was like all of that wasn't really needed and the Mm-mm. finale was completely predictable and it was like, you know, when Patrick Wilson is like, uh, no, it, it all ends with me. I'm just going to stay here in the astral realm. I was like, good. Stay yeah, there. Who cares? Uh, and just the, do and it. The fucking movie. Yeah, because right? I don't and like, then, yeah. I mean, I, I could see him maybe even better than I guess Indy would have repairing a marriage. But like, I don't know. It's just at that point, I just didn't care. So it was like, yeah, stay, whatever. But but even then, when he has that moment where he sees his dad again, it's supposed to be like an uplifting, like looking out for you. I didn't feel that way. I didn't feel like that was no. whatsoever. I was just like, I didn't either. And I was then like, like, after all the shit you went through, I still wouldn't look at this as a positive. Yeah, and I I you know we I think we missed a scene of a resolution between the two of them where. You know, just like he with Rose Byrne, you kept secrets from me. We never got that scene, right? Yeah. Um, and then even at the end when, you know, he's <laughs> he's painting over the door, all I could think of is, so you remember Stephen D'Souza's Street Fighter with Jean-Claude Van Damme? Yes. Right? And do you remember Zangief is looking at the the television and there's like the, something's <laughs> happening, like a, like a truck's coming and there's going to be an explosion. And he goes, 
turn the channel, right? <laughs> as if that's gonna, right? So as he's as he's painting, all I could think of was that moment, and then Scooter and I were like, paint faster, motherfucker. Yeah. Well, it's that, it's a mixture of that, and it's like a Looney Tunes cartoon, like he's Bugs Bunny, where he's just gonna draw like a hole that the demon could fall into or be trapped by. Exactly. It's so tacky, and it's, and it's made worse because the drama is so heavy in this movie or so heavy handed that it make it pronounces this in a worse fashion. And then even that, yeah. like bringing back, I mean, bringing back the two, originally the cameos with Lin Shay and then the two paranormal investigators were fine because he just discovered it on YouTube. She, you know, Oh, speaking of tacky, I love the video where they explain um, astral projection. And it's that, <laughs> that horrific low fi special effect of like Angus Samson floating in the background. So that was magnificent. I, I did chuckle at that, but I had a fear because like I said, with the last key, their antics got on my nerves and I was like, Oh, are they going to, cause at that point this was like middle of the movie. So I thought like those two and Lynn Shay were going to come back at the end. I didn't realize it was just going to be quick cameos. So like, yeah, if I have to deal with this gun, Oh, it's fine. I and love Specs and Tucker. I think they have their moments, but they just out. Oh, and I think I would be more receptive if it was a straight up horror comedy. The fact that it's these movies are still trying to have horror elements makes it fall flatter for me or is more aggravating. God, brilliant idea. Lee Wanell. First of all, one, I want to marry you because I think you're gorgeous. But two, if you're listening to this, please make a horror comedy with Specs and Tucker. Specs and Tucker fight evil. Yeah, I mean, technically you kind of did that with Last Key, but this time just get rid of any or whoever did that film did that with Last Key. Uh, just get rid of any semblance that this is supposed to be a serious horror movie at times. Just completely yes. go with all the comedy portion. Go, go whole hog supernatural yeah, comedy. Go army exactly. of darkness with it, you know? Oh, um, we should write Lee and let yeah. him know that. <laughs> so that's when they and then Lin Shea appears. But then Lin Shea appears again at the end because she's, uh, I guess she astral projects herself was what I took away from that. Sequence. Yes. Uh, that yeah, she asked but then he's not asleep. So yeah, how does so I he don't see her. I don't know. I I honestly <laughs> was waiting for like. So the whole bit is he's going to his car after kind of. Which I will say I did like the fact that even though they you know are probably going to try to make things work, they didn't just immediately cut to them moving back in. He's yeah. dropping them off, but he's going to go back to his house because it's going to take time to get this all to work. So I at least exactly. liked that little touch. So as he's going back to his car to go to his place, he sees Lynn Shay. He's trying to remember who she is. He goes, well, I just knew your mother. Uh, and, you know, but they give the little like, oh, you're going to be okay. There's going to be a strength, yada, yada, yada. And then when he gets into the car and looks back, she's no longer there, which obviously actual projection, which doesn't make sense because he's awake, or at least we think he is. But then I thought, wouldn't it have been funny if he thought that? And then he looks slightly over to the left or whatever. And she was just like trying to walk off screen. <laughs> like, yes, sorry, I thought it was I fast enough. Yeah. No, I wasn't. Um, but like, yeah, it's kind of an okay moment. But that like, you would have been fine not having that. It was almost too forced of a cameo when really the, the bit with the YouTube clips was enough, you know, even though yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I am always happy like you are to see Lynn Shay. Absolutely love her. And that delivery of that scene is great. You know, she just has this, she has that now, I guess it's more grandmotherly, but she always kind of had a motherly vibe to her uh, when she yeah. wasn't playing completely, complete weirdo. Well, I guess she still had a motherly vibe and there's something about Mary, just a crazy motherly vibe. <laughs> Shows your tits, Magda. <laughs> um, but she does have but, that like great vibe to her, but I just, that very much felt well, like a callback that was just shoehorned in or shat in. Shat into the film. Well, she also, um, she also has a very distinct voice. So when she started talking, I grabbed um, Scott's arm and I was like, Elise. Yeah. Um, but 
I thought at the end of the film, he was going to at least look in the rearview mirror and maybe not see the lipstick demon, but see maybe the key demon. Because I was like, why not bring the key demon in? Also, as a huge spoiler for the entire series, because Wanell and company do love to do the retconning, it should be mentioned that in um, Insidious The Last Key, it's a prequel, by the way, directed by Adam Robitaille, who also directed um, Escape Room and its sequel. Both really great movies. Please see them. But it was revealed in that prequel that when Elise was alive and first exploring the further, um, she opened the red door and saw young Ty Simpkins and she never closed it. So she actually set all of this in motion because by leaving the red door open, she allowed the lipstick demon to go in and, and haunt um, Patrick Wilson and his family. Hmm. Um, so there was there, you know, now that they closed it, it would have been nice for her to at least acknowledge, Hey, by the way, I made your life a living fucking hell, <laughs> but anyway, whatever. And so, then as, as we left scooter was like, well, they set it up for another sequel because she said you'll be able to talk to your mom. But I was like, no, I think that was just like, I'm, she's on the other side. Side. You'll be able to talk to her. That's how I took it. I mean, it could easily just make it a part of another sequel, which I know maybe the three and four weren't as great, but I kind of preferred like one, because I love the Lynn Shea character, but two, the downside to doing sequels to movies like this is when you constantly and Poltergeist ran into this, when you're constantly putting the same family in peril after a while, it not only becomes tiring, yeah. but you are almost too depressed to feel something for the family. Because you're like, at this <laughs> yeah. point, you can't go through anything. I prefer it when it's like this idea of like, well, of course, like you, you set it up that Lin Shay, you know, these people that the that they encounter would have just like uh, in the conjuring, they're going to have many different families that they encounter. Just do that. That's your crux. You're you're right. That's your, so I'm fine if they want to try to keep these going and just going back to that. Cause I don't need to see this family going to stuff anymore. Let them have, it's their, that scream six thing with uh Nev Campbell not coming back. Well, she had, there's our happy ending. Yeah. Let these people finally have their happy ending. Like I don't need, well, I mean, I don't need I to mean, see yeah. Simpkins and, you know, sing Chris now going through even worse symptoms of him, maybe being possessed or something, or just let them, you know, and I also liked in this, that even though they had somewhat of a romantic thing, they didn't go full bore with it. You could kind of come out that they could just be friends, but still, that's still a bond. Like I like that. Like, yeah. They didn't have to, well, that's, that in. And that's why I, I like that they broke that trope, that they yeah. didn't just automatically become boyfriend, girlfriend. Yeah, but you know? it's just, it's little things here. Uh, if they do continue sequels, though, since we're talking about these doors, let's Monsters Inc. this, and let's go on the other side, and it's the monsters, all these demons, like they're going to each door so they can astral project, you know, and they need the screen yes. to survive or some stupid BS. Like, let's just get really wacky with it, and let's go the other end. But I... I, Spe- I this actually, did not make speaking- me want to see another one. I can say that right no, now. No, of course I'm not. Tired of this franchise I, now. I mean, more to your point, right? It's like how many times can John McClane end up in the wrong situation, yeah. right? It's it's the same thing here. But you know, just to throw it back to the homage of Poltergeist. Remember, Poltergeist three involved Carol Ann being shipped off to a different family. This is sort of similar. We get a surrogate family. We get the surrogate mother support in the roommate. Um, and then the father is trying to like tie it all together. So in some ways, just like Insidious 1 and 2 are analogs of Poltergeist 1 and 2, this is kind of like an analog to 3. Yeah. But just no anyway, high rises, which is a missed opportunity. 
just no high rises, right? And by the way, Poltergeist 3, Gary Sherman, all practical effects in front of the camera. That's pretty good. There's only one digital shot in there. So that that makes the fi that film an outlier. But nonetheless, um, yeah, this was uh this this was, this yeah. was poopy. Yeah, it, honestly, yeah. I mean it's always horror movies, and I think I heard uh, about this, but horror movies don't need to have months-long promotion. You only need that last month. But I completely forgot they were making this or maybe never heard. So now I'm like, well, now I wonder if, even though it's doing well because it's a horror movie and it's attached to a franchise, it does feel like this did just kind of get dumped out of nowhere. And now I'm wondering if I know why. But it, but again, yeah. at least well, with horror, I mean, as you know, they've mentioned on the Not A Bomb podcast, it's very hard for horror to bomb. And this is doing well enough that like, as long as, you know... You make yeah. enough in that opening weekend throughout, you're, you're going to turn a profit. So, Well, if they do a sequel, I say bring back Key Demon because the, mm -hmm. the Key Demon was freakish. Uh, I, if, for the listeners who haven't seen it, there was a demon who had keys for fingers and he would like, while somebody was screaming, like stick the key in their throat and turn it. And then suddenly they couldn't scream. Like, I thought that was pretty, yeah, pretty boss. That, right? Of course it made me think of like, if it's like a power Rangers villain, cause that was how their villains always were. It was just like, yes. whatever the theme is this week was has something to do with baseball. Well, here's a giant, like evil catcher. Here's a giant baseball. itself, yes. Or here's a giant. It's team. very, it's very He-Man and masters. Of the yeah. Universe but it, but it was creepy, uh, the implementation <laughs> yeah. of it. And that's the other thing. There's really, since there's no defined real villain in this, I mean, it's just demons of your past. There's only hints that also kind of sucked the wind out of this. There's nothing that we were yeah. really building towards, I felt. But I don't know. It's just, this is underwhelming. The the personification yes. of underwhelming is this movie. Pretty much. So final verdicts, it's a massive skip for me. And also for the four guys who attended my screening last night who clapped at the end of this please reach out to us because i want to know what the hell you saw in maybe this. they were just clapping because it was over like thank god we get to leave Woo! I, maybe they were on edibles and this made the film even better yeah, I, I can tell know. you right now i had about 20 other people on my screening not a single person clapped it was basically all like <laughs> all right like i i i, I just it was like a collective sigh between all of us it's like yeah that was there you go the girls next to me were scared. We were kind of like cringing up um, in anticipation of big scares. I really wanted to know what the giant Russian guy with the backpack thought about the movie at the end, but whatever. Uh, maybe he was like, oh, this is not the machine. Um, that was a terrible <laughs> accent. Let's, yeah, I'm also a skiff. Uh, I'm gonna, uh, let's, let's, let's wrap this up before I start doing even more terrible impersonations. Jose, why don't you tell the listeners and maybe those four people who clapped at your screening and that Russian dude uh, how they can reach us? Yes. So if we uh, got the... Uh, if we got it wrong with Insidious, the uh, red door, please reach out to us. You can email us at watchskipplus, spell out all the words, no punctuation, at gmail.com. Also, you can reach us on all our social medias. We have Instagram, Twitter, Facebook presence. We are also on uh, Spotify for podcasts, so you can look us up there. But as always, please leave us a review. We hope that they will be five-star reviews, but we're also open to criticism, right? I mean, thank God we're not doing movies like Insidious, but we're at least <laughs> open to criticism for our podcast and how to make it more entertaining and wonderful so that you guys keep coming back and listening to our rantings and ravings and man-ass talk, all of it. Um, but uh, 
if you love us, you will certainly love our uh, pod roll, our pod fathers, The Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema and Not a Bomb with Troy and Brad. I actually guested on a recent Breaking Brad episode. This is where Troy, the co-host, tortures Brad by forcing him to watch horrible, horrible films, uh, including things like The Apple um, for your height only. And the recent episode that I guessed it on, we watched from Justin to Kelly, which, um, I don't know. I think I've lost internet cred by saying, I love that movie and I have seen it 20 times and I know the choreography. I sing uh, along to it. <laughs> I, it's not a surprise though that you do. It would have been a surprise if you didn't. And it should be noted that I believe Sammy joined that episode as well. Did he not? Yes. That correct. is the second time he has podcasted about that movie because years and years ago in the GGTMC, there was an April Fool's Day episode where the, the listeners made them watch from Justin to Kelly and Spice World. And their revelation was from Justin to Kelly was terrible, but Spice World's actually kind of fun. And I agree with that. I like Spice World. That's my, if there's a guilty pleasure, Spice World's actually fun. I have seen from Justin to Kelly. Uh, I don't like the fact that my name is associated with such a terrible, terrible movie. (laughs) But it's terrible because it's clear that Justin and Kelly were obligated to do this and had wanted nothing to do with it. So you just have this this secondhand embarrassment with that movie. This is true. And actually, they um, I think Spice World was part of the April Fool's, but they lost a bet and had to review That's what it was. from Justin to Kelly. Yeah. And ironically, both of those films are written by the same person. Mm-hmm. <laughs> not, that, so, not that surprising, really, but not surprisingly, but, but surprising I guess, yeah. in the sense that I guess the because the writing that he got it completely wrong in one and and really right in one of them. I think Spice World gets slept on. That's actually a really clever movie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, And then, of course, you would love our original OG podcast, Night of the Living podcast. Um, Also, we love Wild Dream podcast. They like they like us will be celebrating a one year anniversary coming soon. And then Death by DVD Raiders of the podcast across the pond. Kevin, shout out to you. We're simpatico brothers because we loved Dial of Destiny. Um, And then VHS Files, which also has a YouTube, so you can watch those fellas josh around. Sylvan Gold, Cult of Muscle, Feminine Critique, and Married with Clickers. Uh, I was also going to add, please share our reviews because that's how we get our word, word out about our humble podcast and read. Well, we hope that the law of diminishing returns has not hit us, that you always listen, you never skip, and you remember that you are the plus. And <laughs> more like and the brown door, am I right? The wah, brown wah. I know that's I know that's right. Also, Patrick Wilson, feel free to ass troll project into my bedroom. Ah, <laughs> yeah. 